0: Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. Today, I want to talk about the radical, amazing, astounding grace of our Lord Jesus. We asked last week, Have you been changed by grace? I know you know about grace, but have you been changed by it? I want to ask this week, Have you been emboldened by grace? And I can't wait to dive into it, so let's just go ahead and look at it. We're opening up our Bibles today to the book of Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Many of you have probably heard this scripture before or even quoted it. Today we're going to look at it, and from now on you'll know where it's at. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. He says, Or are you, do you think lightly... Of the riches of his kindness. Talking about the Lord's. The riches of the Lord's kindness and tolerance and patience. Not knowing that it's the kindness, the way we normally quote it, the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Let's read that again. Or do you think lightly of the riches of the Lord's kindness? You think lightly of his tolerance and patience, not knowing that it is the kindness and the goodness of God that leads you, leads you to repentance. Now, repentance is an interesting word. Um, Many people don't know what it actually means. A lot of people think repentance means you, like, feel really bad and, you know, punish yourself for what you've done. Uh, Repentance is not that, though. Repentance literally means my life is headed in one direction now it's headed in another. My life was headed in a negative direction. Now it's headed in a positive one. Now, many of us would look at our own lives and see many times when our life is headed in a negative direction. It could be when you look internally and you, you find sin or you find mistakes and weakness. And we wake up one day and it's like, I need to change. We wake up one day and we realize we need to make an adjustment. that the direction we're going in is not good. It needs to change directions. That's repentance. Sometimes in life, though, it's not us. It's just life and adversity. It's not within us. It's outside of us. Something is going on in our finances, or something is going on in our health, or something is going on at the job, and we intrinsically know, meaning on the inside we know, I'm going in the wrong direction. If it keeps going this way, It'll be bad for my health. It'll be bad for my finances. It'll be bad for my job. I need to change directions. Now, what's interesting is many Christians, in spite of what's taught in the New Testament, when we look to change directions, we look to change like the rest of the world. And the way the rest of the world looks at change is this, works. Uh, Here's how I'll change direction. I will get better. I will get stronger. I will get more determined. I will have more willpower, I will get my act together, I will be stronger, I will be braver, I will be more determined. And every year, this typically happens around New Year's, uh, where we come back to those same decisions of the I wills, I will blank, uh, and it's always me working harder, more proficient, or with more discipline. And the rest of the world does this. And when people do it, when people actually you know, get to that um, shape they want to get in physically or get to that um, uh, place financially they want to be or, or here's what marriage is all to be about. Um, we write books on our works. Here's what I did. And we place the people who did it on pedestals. And it's like, wow, look at them. And we pay attention to them, and we come to this place where we, you've heard me use this statement before, will worship. We worship at the altar of willpower. It's like, what, what willpower they have? And we're inspired by them, and, and we're, we're looking to them. And it's like, wow, like in this area, look at your works. Look at what you were able to produce And the New Testament literally is written and designed to destroy a works mentality. That when you you see your life, you do not see your life uh, as the result of what your hand did. You see your life as a result of what his hand did. That when you look at your family or you look at like, wow, I have so much grace to eat healthier. I have so much more grace uh, to come and make smart decisions financially. Like, it was hard for me. Uh, but now it's like it's genuinely not me and then people like well what is it it's the lord it's like well what is that that's grace emboldened by grace paul said it this way i am what i am by the grace of god it is not i woke up one day and decided you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna write three-fourths of the new testament uh he's he's saying like no i was a mess i was headed in the wrong direction and then i saw jesus And I am what I am by the grace of God. The grace of God is helping me financially. The grace of God is helping my marriage. The grace of God is helping me parent. The grace of God is helping my soul. Why? I'm emboldened by grace. I I know I have a throne of grace I can come come boldly to because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and receive grace and help and mercy in a time of need. That the hero of my marriage is not me and these five principles. The hero of my marriage is Jesus. That the hero of my health is not these eight things I'm doing. It's Jesus helping me do these eight things. I tried these eight things before him, failed every time. But through him, all things are possible. Come on, somebody. It is the grace of God. But what happens is, Romans 2, 4, I think lightly of his kindness, And so, like so many people, we don't ask for his assistance, we don't ask for his help, and we go back to the altar of will worship, and it's like, I'll do better, pastor! I'll try harder, pastor! Next year will be different, pastor! And all of those kinds of things, because we come back to works. And literally, the gospel and Paul's writings is trying to take the church away from works and over into grace, believing in God's grace, having faith in his grace, coming and letting the Lord, and this, is, <laughs> this will rock your religious box, what I'm about to say, coming and letting the Lord serve you. Oh, It's like, no, Pastor Joel, we serve Jesus. That's what Peter said. You remember, Peter, Jesus is going around washing the disciples' feet. He's serving them. And Peter, he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, Stop here! You will not wash my feet! And Jesus said this statement. In essence, what Peter's saying, is like, No, 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 I serve the Lord. The Lord doesn't serve me. I'll wash your feet. You will not wash mine. And Jesus made this statement. He said, If you don't let me love you, If you don't let me do this for you, if you don't let me serve you, he said the following, word for word, you have no part with me. If you don't let me serve you, you have no part with me. Why? Because no one could ever serve the Lord enough to have part with him. No matter how perfect you obtained your flesh, your heart would still have sin within it there'd still be pride. You would get proud at how much you did good. Uh, And then you would look down on all these people who did bad uh, and all those types of things. There would be no part of you that could merit heaven. No part of you that could merit that type of mercy. The, The secret to the kingdom of God is letting the Lord Jesus serve you and Jesus saying, like, if you will let me love you, then you get to have part with me. If you will understand it's not by your works or else you could boast. Um, it, it's by my grace. I have set my love on you. You can't earn it. You can't unearn it. You just receive it and you accept it and you enjoy it. And you let me wash your feet. At which point Peter said, wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, I'll stick with your feet. Um, and, and he lets the Lord love him. But don't you see that in Peter's life? He denies the Lord Jesus three times. Peter's so ashamed at his lack of discipline that he weeps so loudly that the Bible says he wept loudly like he catches eyes with, the, with Jesus and he feels so awful for what he did. He forsakes his call and he weeps bitterly. But the Lord brings him back, and, and Peter, like you read the narrative, he never said sorry. It's like, wait a minute, like make him earn it some, and like all those kinds of things. But the Lord prepares this, this fish dinner for him, and, and he has this moment where Peter sees the Lord's grace, and he's, he jumps out of the boat. He won't even wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumps out to be in the presence of God's goodness. Do you think lightly of the kindness of God? So many people are afraid to let Jesus serve them or to make Christianity about how Jesus can serve us. When you even have scriptures like John 14 and 14, this is an amazing scripture on prayer, by the way, and it's why we pray in Jesus' name. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Like, if you could just meditate on that for a month, it would change your life forever, And I could do a whole message on like the power of what this actually is. But here's what I want to just say in regards to this message. Do you see his heart to serve you? He's like, I'm not going to pawn this off to some angels. I'm not going to just like release, you know, my word and wind and just kind of make it happen. He's like, no, I'd like to personally serve you. I will do it for you. Why? You asked me to. Um, and, and here is the heart of the Lord, like the Lord Jesus wants you emboldened by grace. Now, here's the problem with this. Religion would come back, and it has for years, like ever since Paul preached this. The whole book of of Galatians is written because people who accepted the message of grace were now trying to come back into works due to what someone else was preaching. So Paul wrote and penned the letter of Galatians. Just go read Galatians. But from that time till this, people want to come back and earn and work. And so they say, like, if you preach a message on radical grace, it gives everybody a license to sin and so people won't live holy people won't live righteous people will just continue living in sin because it's not about them anymore it's about jesus and jesus has a standard and god has a standard and you're right jesus does have a standard and god does have a standard but here's the thing forever people by works have been trying to meet that standard and you know what happened no repentance and somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? No lasting change. They would, they would go for a solid three months in this direction. That was good. And then something would pull them back. Or even if they got this one area of their life figured out, they would find out there's five areas over here that need to be repented of too and changed in direction. And what the New Testament comes to show us is that the grace of God actually leads people to repentance. And not only does it lead people to repentance, it it empowers them to be able to be repentant. And you see this all throughout scripture. I don't want you to be afraid of the grace of God. I want you to enjoy the grace of God because the more you enjoy the grace of God, the more you'll get a heart for God, which will make you stop doing all the things you don't want to do, not because you're afraid, but because you love him and you're in awe of him and you're inspired by him. This is the heart of Jesus. And so I want to show you different examples in the New Testament of people's interactions with Jesus. Where where we see the grace of God in motion. The first one I want to look at is found in the book of John. So let's go over there and look at it. We're going to look at John chapter 11. Uh, We're going to see somebody who is changed by the grace of God. And then we're going to see someone who continued in sin. And we're going to ask, why did they? John chapter 11. And we'll look in verse number one. Um, Now, Jesus has people in his life that he was able to get close to. I think Jesus wanted to get close to everyone, including us, but there were certain people who were just comfortable with him and invited him into a deeper place. And three of those people are people who we should learn from and look to, and that's Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were brothers and sisters, uh, and so they're here in this moment, uh, this family. They've, they've drawn nigh to Jesus. He comes to their house often, and they come to a place where they have a need. Lazarus, the brother, is very sick. And so out of this, they know the Lord can help with this. And so they send word to get him to help. And I want you to notice their appeal. They knew Jesus and they knew his kindness. They, they knew his graciousness. So watch their appeal in John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, uh, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. And wiped his feet with her hair. In essence, this is a woman who really loved the Lord. Whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, watch this, watch this, watch it. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now what is this? Grace. Somebody says, what in the world do you mean by that? Notice the appeal. The one you love is sick, not the one who loves you. The one who loves you is works. Lord, do you remember that time I came and I cried so much that I washed your feet with my tears? Now, go back to that moment, Lord, and remember what I did for you. And out of that, would you please come and heal my brother because he has a need? Don't forget, we love you. <laughs> she does not point to her works. She does not point to uh, their sacrifice. She's not trying to merit it, earn it, or deserve it. What does she appeal to? Nothing but what? What? Oh, somebody said it here at Lakeland. Let me hear you, Poindexter. Let me hear you, Highland Colony. What did they appeal to? Here's why you're going to move. What did they appeal to? Your love for me. And that was enough for them. My question is this to you. Is that enough for you? Here's why the Lord will do it. Not because I help serve. Not because I did eight things right. Not because I've had a good run of tithing. (laughs) Here's why the Lord is going to help you for no other reason than this. Why? Because he what? He loves me. And they appeal to his love. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus hears the request. And when he hears the request, he makes a decision. I will honor that request. I will go. But he does it according to his own timing. And he does it according to his own way. And we said this a couple of messages ago. But it's, it's something that I think I haven't quite built into us well. And I want to come back to it until it is. Faith relinquishes control. When you're in faith, you're not trying to control God or the outcome. When you're in faith, you're trusting. Um, When faith has control, and this actually turned into a problem for Mary, it's like, he's coming. And he'll come here, and he'll come now, and Lazarus won't die, and he'll be okay, and then he'll be okay, and we'll come, and we'll have this miracle, and we'll be wonderful, and it'll be great. But he's coming. Faith in his goodness. But then he doesn't do it according to her plan. And has that ever happened to you? Where you were praying and it's like, and by Thursday, Lord, it it would help if by Thursday at nine, uh, this, this happened. And, you know, so we set a timetable and we set days and years and moments where we, we begin to try to manipulate God to not be diligent to his plan, but to carry out ours. And God did not operate according to her plan, but he heard her request He acknowledged it, and he was going to do it according to his timing. And so he waits, and then he finally makes a decision to come. The problem is, by the time he makes a decision to come, Lazarus dies. And when he shows up at this hometown, guess who's mad at him? Mary. The same one, and maybe some of you are here at our campuses or listening to this message or watching online— the same one who like so loved Jesus that she was able literally to wash his dirty feet, not with water, but tears. So in love with Jesus. Mr. Rag. so she, she used her hair to honor the Lord. So in love with him and based off of loving him and knowing his love for her, she makes a request, but then that request does not happen the way she wants it to happen. And so when the Lord comes to to honor that request, she won't even come see him. Watch this in John chapter 11. We'll keep going here. And in verse number 20. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. She doesn't want to see Jesus in this moment. She doesn't want to talk to him. It would be awkward for her. Why? Because her soul's offended. She thought he would do something based off of his love for her, and it didn't happen the way she wanted it to happen. Have you ever been offended that way? I, I have. Um, and, can you know, I'll, I'll always be honest with you. Um, it's an occupational hazard not to be. Uh, and so out of that, uh, um, I, 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 I in my own life am living a life that was nothing the way I had planned. I, I gave my heart to the Lord in rededication. I gave my heart to him as a young child and asked him into my heart. But as a 17-year-old, a, you know, I rededicated my life And it felt like, honestly, it felt like being born again. My desires changed and shifted. And I began to pray and began to picture life of what life would be like. And every one of those pictures and dreams had my father in it. And when he died, kind of like in this situation, it's like it wasn't just him dying, it was my dream dying. It was my prayers dying because all of them had him in it. Does that make sense? And when that happens, when we're, we're trying to like f- impose our will on the Lord's, um, and you know, forecasting our desire upon Him of He'll do it this way, and it doesn't go that way, it's like John sitting in prison. Your heart can get a little offended, and watch the Lord in this moment with her. He knows where she's at. He knows she's offended. And oftentimes when you know um, people are offended with you and you're imperfect, a lot of times we'll come back with sin, and that sin is pride, and it's like, well, forget you then. <laughs> like you know you, you know intrinsically you did everything right, and they're mad at you anyway, uh, that you would be hard-hearted or we'd fall into this place of pride. Watch his gentleness. She's wrong. She thinks she's right, but she's wrong. Watch his gentleness with her. She won't even come into the house to come see him. Finally, the Lord calls for her, and watch this in verse twenty-eight. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister. Martha called Mary her sister, saying, "Watch this. Watch this. The teacher is here, and what's what's he doing?" The teacher is here and he is calling for you. You're offended with him. You're upset with him. You thought he could have done something differently. He didn't do it according to your will, your ways, or how you wanted him to do it. And while you're offended, what's he doing? He's calling for who? you what is this grace the master is calling for you and she gets up and she does something courageous she makes a decision to come when she heard it verse 29 she got up quickly and was coming to him now jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where martha met him Then the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet. And she said unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And what is this? It's accusation. But somebody else said it over here at Lakeland. I heard it. And it's, it's what the Lord saw. Because we'll see the flesh all the time, but the Lord is looking at the heart. It's accusation on the surface, but it's hurt at the heart. Anytime there's accusation, you're doubting someone's love for you. If I'm accusing you of something, you ignored me. You saw me and you turned the other direction. Anytime there's accusation, I'm doubting love. She's accusing him, if you'd have been here, why'd you wait? He did. He waited three days. Why'd you wait? If you'd have come when I asked, if you would have done my plan, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd have just done what I wanted you to do, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have done what I asked you, I wouldn't be having this pain. She's doubting his love for her. You know what Jesus does when he sees this? It said Jesus saw her weeping and he went out. Shortest verse in scripture said, and Jesus wept. He didn't accuse her. He didn't turn accusation into accusation. He didn't say, now you wait a minute. I've got a plan. Trust me. Or any of those types of things. He cried with her because the Lord is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. And then you know what he did? He went and raised your brother back to life. In essence, he executed a plan that was even better than the one she had. Do you trust the Lord enough to execute a plan even better than the one that you had? Do you trust that even when things aren't going according to plan, that the Lord has a plan that's greater than the plan you planned? Can you believe in his goodness enough that when things aren't going the way you want them to go, that there is a reason for all of this that you might not know of, but in some way at some time, God's going to display his glory in such a way that leaves you in awe of the miracle that is at your table. And what she's about to see here in this story is the graciousness of God. She's imperfect. He's perfect. But why is he performing a miracle? Not because she was perfect, but because she did what? She asked, my brother is sick. The one that you love is sick. The people that you love need a miracle. And he came. She had imperfections, no doubt, before. She had imperfections during. But before and even during, and I'm sure after, we see the Lord be what? gracious it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance and watch what happens in this woman who just a couple of verses before this doesn't even want to see the Lord and when she does see him she accuses him watch the change in this woman watch the work that is done within her when she is beholding the goodness of God when she is seeing that what is at her table is not a result of her works but of the Lord's watch what happens in her And may it happen to you. May it happen to me. John 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. I love this because Martha just can't help herself. Every time you see Martha, you'll see her doing this. And Martha was serving. Of course she was. But Lazarus was one of those who's reclining at the table with him. Now, imagine you're at the table with your miracle. And you're looking at something in your life and in your family. I, I've gotten emotional all day because this is my story. You're looking at something in your life You're looking at something in your family. And you're realizing the reason why it's there is not because I woke up one day and decided to get awesome. The reason why it's there is the wonderful goodness, graciousness of the Lord Jesus who loves me. And watch what happens in Mary. This defiant one, this one who didn't even want to see him, watch what happens. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly perfume, pure nard. She broke it and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas, one of the disciples, he was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had in the money box, he was used to pilfering it, what Jesus put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, Leave her alone, so may she, she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, I want you to notice two people here. I want you to notice a woman who was offended. And a woman who would not draw near to Jesus. I want you to see this same woman come and take the most expensive thing in her life. Not because someone was taking an offering, not even because the Lord Jesus asked for it. But she is taking the most expensive thing in her life and she is breaking it open and giving it to Jesus. To make it more personal, she takes her hair. To once again serve the Lord in this way he's not soliciting it but he is so honored by it and my question is how did this woman repent she changed directions she keeps going the direction she was going in in the chapter above this she could be offended with the Lord forever pride would develop sin would come back into her life all of these things would get deeper But when she sees the goodness of God in her life at her table, when she sees a miracle in her house for no other reason than Jesus showed up and loved her family, when she is so mindful that what is in my house is only here because of the Lord Jesus and his graciousness, she has a moment where she says, I can't help but to give him my best. I can't help but to love him. I can't help but to break this open for him because he is worthy of my praise and he is worthy of my devotion and he is worthy of my worship. She changed because of his goodness. She changed because she had a miracle at her table and how did it get there? Bold enough to ask, Bold enough to come home, bold enough to allow the Father to put a coat on your back, a ring on your finger, and sandals on your feet. But I don't deserve it, but he is gracious. But I have sinned, where sin abound, grace does so much more abound. But I didn't even want to see him two two verses ago, I know, but he's still calling for you. Why? He wants to be the hero of your story. He wants to be the blesser of your life. He wants you to have a life that glorifies him, that when people see you, they're like, how did you get there? It's like, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how I struggled and I tried, but then Jesus came in. How is Lazarus at the table? Well, I was actually really offended with Jesus, but then he came in my life, and he he brought back what I thought could never come back. And he picked up and restored what I never thought could be put back together. We see this woman change, but then we see another person in the story, in Judas, continue in his sin. In this moment, he's watching someone else repent and turn affection to the Lord, and he's watching this play out, and he's so unfazed by it, all he's thinking about is, if that was sold and put in the offering, how much money could I take out of it? And he's so unrepentant that he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And my question is why? Was it he should have tried harder? He should have done better? I'll tell you why. At some point in Judas' life, he lost his awe of Jesus. That he is watching a woman pour out this on Jesus, and his mind is thinking he is unworthy of it. And out of losing his awe for Jesus, his heart is drifting further and further into sin. And it's not just Judas needs to be better and be more disciplined. It's if he kept an awe of Jesus, he would see Jesus help him do better. When Jesus dips his bread in Judas's cup and has a moment, his heart wouldn't be so hardened. To see, okay, like I'll go do it. His heart would have been open, of like, Lord, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to do this to you. You are worthy of this. And somebody says, Well, what do you mean? Think of Peter. When Peter met Jesus, he had fished all night and caught nothing. What is that? That's works. It's I'm trying my best and it's not happening. I'm trying harder to catch fish, but I'm not catching anything. I'm trying my best to fix my family. I'm trying my best to get healthier. I'm trying my best to make more money. I'm trying my best and it's not working. What is that works? And then Jesus enters the story, and by grace, what you tried to work all night for with works and caught nothing, by grace, now you are catching the whole lake, and the nets are being broken, and the boats are sinking. And you know, it's for no other reason than Jesus entered the story. And it's not, I became an expert fisherman because I fished this all these years. It's because, look, I was an expert, and that wasn't enough, but Jesus came in my life and changed the whole thing, What? Is that grace. And you know what Peter did when he saw it? You know what he did when he got those boats back to shore? You know what he did when he emptied those nets? You know what he did? So in awe of Jesus, you know what he did? Repented. And he falls down on his knees and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And I'll ask you this, what happened first, the Lord's goodness or his repentance? The Lord's goodness. But the Lord's goodness led to what? His repentance. (laughs) And when he saw the Lord's goodness in his life, I could tell you a story about Zacchaeus and the same thing. They're looking at Jesus. They're like, you're going to his house? He's a sinner. And after he goes into Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus is like, you know what? All those people I've hurt, I'm repenting. I'm going to give them their money back and all those other types of things. His goodness came into the house first and then his repentance. And what's my point? My point is how many prodigals are staying away from the Lord because they don't think they earned it. And how many others are like the other son who's in the house still trying to earn what the Father freely wants to give by his grace if you would just ask? Let's rely on the grace of God. Let's lean on the grace of God. Let's receive the grace of God. Let's be changed by the grace of God. Let's be emboldened by the grace of God. Let's let Jesus be the hero, and let's let miracles be at our table where every time we look at them, we can't help but to draw closer to Jesus because he is the sum total. Him? How can I not go to church? How can I not give? I'm not trying to earn it though. I'm doing it because I love him. And when you get to that place, you can look up and say, I haven't just heard about grace. I have been changed by it. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person who's here. I thank you for every person at all of our campuses. And before our campus pastors come and before worship, Father, we just say you are worthy of our praise. And you are worthy of our honor. And so, Father, today we receive your grace. We lean into it. And we look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. You are so good, Jesus. And today and forever, we will love you and praise you. In Jesus' name.